if you will, open your Bibles with me as we study today. God's Word is what has the power. Uh, that's where we want our focus to be. We want to look into His Word as into a mirror. You know, as we approach Bible study, uh, one, one of the primary goals that we have is, is to learn to see through God's eyes. Uh, we're seeking, as we read the scripture, to, to see ourselves, see our lives, uh, see the church, see the world around us the way that God sees it. To think the way that he thinks, to feel the way that he feels, and to be passionate about the things that he is passionate about. And as we think about feeling what God feels, about being passionate about what God is passionate about, what one of the primary passions that we need to cultivate within our heart is a passion for saving souls, a passion for seeking and saving the lost. Um, God's passion for us uh, is what is demonstrated most strongly through Jesus coming in the flesh, through Jesus leaving heaven, coming down and becoming a man. Uh, More than anything, it it shows us the love that God has for for us as lost souls before him. And I, I think all of us would certainly uh, support the, the work of evangelism. All of us would uh, approve of and, and consent to the work of evangelism, but sometimes we, we lack the personal passion about seeking and saving the lost to actually make that an integral part of our day-to-day lives. Um, while we think it is a good thing, something that people should be involved in, uh, maybe we, we don't feel deeply and strongly enough, or at least not as much as God feels it, to actually put it into action from day to day. So I, I want us to ask the question, how can we cultivate, how can we develop a deeper passion for evangelism, a passion like God's passion, like Jesus' passion for the lost? If we want to develop uh, a deeper passion for evangelism, Uh, I think we first need to recognize uh, that this is the primary work that God has called us to. If we're devoted to doing God's work, to fulfilling his mission in our lives, then it's going to mean uh, doing, uh, being serious about the work of evangelism. Uh, Because sharing the gospel with the lost is our prime directive, our, our highest Priority, the most foundational and essential aspect of our work in the kingdom. Look look in Matthew chapter 28 with me. Matthew 28, we read at the very end of Matthew's gospel what we often call the Great Commission. And we, we might put a great deal of emphasis on somebody's dying wish, right? If, if somebody is getting ready to leave this life, the very last thing that they want to express to us uh, is something that, that we would put high priority on. Well, well, Jesus, at the very end of his earthly walk, even after his death at this point, as he's getting ready to descend into heaven, in Matthew and in Mark and even in Luke or the beginning of Acts, we, we continue to see this great commission, this mission that Jesus is sending out his apostles on, 
Uh, although John doesn't record it specifically for us, really John's purpose statement of his gospel is focused on this purpose of drawing people uh, to belief in Jesus. Notice what he says here to his disciples in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we've been called to. This is our mission. You might say, well, Grady, that, that was the apostles' mission. Here, the, the Great Commission was given to them. They were to go out. They were to be witnesses to the resurrection. That, that is true. But, but let me ask you here, as, as we look at this passage, and he says there in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is that promised to? Was that promise just to the apostles that he was going to be with them to the end of the age? They weren't even going to live to the end of the age. No, we recognize the promise is to us that God is going to be with his church, with his people in doing this work. But if the promise is to us, then the commission is to us as well, is it not? It's not just the apostles who are entrusted with the work of taking the gospel to the lost, of making disciples, of teaching people about King Jesus and urging them to be submissive to him. That's the work that each and every one of us as disciples have been called to as well. And that is the work that Jesus came to earth to accomplish. That that is what Jesus devoted his life to. Look in Luke chapter 19 and in verse 10. Luke chapter 19 and in verse 10. He says then in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That, that was Jesus' mission. That's why he came to earth. You, you look in Luke chapter 4, earlier in the gospel, Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, as he's going out to different cities and healing people, he says in Luke 4 and verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. What, what purpose? Why did Jesus leave his throne in heaven? Why did Jesus come down to earth, take on flesh and blood? Why did he suffer the experience of, of this life even unto death upon the cross? To seek and to save the lost. Luke 4, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That, that's what Jesus devoted his entire life to. That, that's what directed Every movement of Jesus here on earth, every decision that he made, every plan that he made, every deed that he did, every word that he said was centered on the goal of seeking and saving the lost, of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom so that he could make kingdom citizens, so they could have hope of eternity in that kingdom with the Lord. Jesus didn't come to earth to sightsee. Jesus didn't come just to make our lives here on earth more meaningful and fulfilling. Jesus came so that we could be saved from our sins, so that we can have a hope of eternal life. And if we are going to be his disciples, you know, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
If we are those who have put to death the old man and been raised to walk a new life with Christ, if it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, then what does that mean about our purpose here on earth? That that means our every plan and our every decision, our every moment needs to be centered around doing the mission of Jesus, right? We're not here to sightsee. God didn't just put us here on earth for our own personal enjoyment. So that we could, uh, you know, experience all that this world has to offer. God put us here on earth for a purpose. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, as his body, his mission is our mission. We cannot claim to have Christ living in us if his principal goal of life is not of utmost priority in our lives. And now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, that work has been entrusted to us. Look with me in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Here, Paul is talking about the message of salvation, the gospel. He says in verse 13, um, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's, It's not something that we accomplish on our own. We must appeal to God for a good conscience uh, through the waters of baptism. But notice what he then goes on to say in verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How are people going to respond to the gospel unless someone preaches it to them, teaches it to them? You you might say, well, Grady, I... I can't preach. You know, that, that, that's not my role. That's not my work. Uh, you know, you and, and, and Carl and Dave and Jason, you, you guys, you can get up there. You can preach. This word preach isn't talking about somebody who stands at a pulpit. This is not talking about somebody who, who makes PowerPoints. This is talking about being a herald of the king. That's kind of the root idea here. Uh, to proclaim, to preach, to be a herald is the idea that, that the king has sent out an edict. This, he has sent out a message and we are to go and to announce it to the people. And you notice here, it's, it's not how beautiful is the mouth of those who proclaim the good news. It's how beautiful are the feet. A herald of the king didn't have to be somebody who, who was eloquent who, who could put together, you know, nice presentations and, and uh, say things in flowery ways. No, the herald of the king just had to be faithful to the message. He had to go out with the, the scroll that he had been given and he had to read it to the people. That's, that's what God has entrusted all of us to do. You think about Ephesians 6, the, the armor of God that we've talked about recently. Uh, remember what we're supposed to have on our feet We're to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That sounds a lot like uh, what what is being quoted here in Romans as well, this idea from Isaiah. Um, How many Christians need to have that part of the armor? Is it just a few of us? Just the apostles? Just the preachers? No. Each and every one of us need the preparation of the gospel of peace, need to get ready to share the gospel, need to go out and share it with others. And I don't have to be a mouth in the body of Christ to do that. I I can be a pinky toe, and that's still my work. God has entrusted us as his body 
to take his message to the lost. And how will people hear unless we are doing his work? You know, we, we sometimes sing a song, and I, I don't particularly like the song. I'll explain why. Uh, but it's called The World's Bible. And it says, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongue but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. I understand what, what's being said in this song, and I think I understand the intent behind it. it unfortunately, the wording kind of sounds like, well, God's just kind of helpless without us, isn't he? <laughs> Obviously, that's not the point that's being made. Obviously, God doesn't need us to accomplish that work. The power is in him. The power is not in us. But I do think this song strikes at something that, that Romans chapter 10 is talking about. Not because God has no help but our help. Uh, not because he can't accomplish things without us. But because by his choice, he has entrusted the gospel to us. By his choice, we are the body of Christ living here on earth. That is our responsibility. And that is our work. And Romans 10 tells us if we're not doing it, then people aren't going to hear the gospel. We need to get serious about who we are supposed to be as disciples of Christ. Jesus' primary mission, and by extension, our primary mission as the body of Christ, is to seek and save the lost. And we need to get serious about sharing the message of the king. You don't have to be a mouth. You can be an ear. You can be an elbow. You can be a foot. But each and every one of us in some way needs to be active in doing the Lord's work. If we aren't sharing the gospel, we aren't doing the Lord's work. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why Jesus died. Are we devoted to the Lord's work? But also with that, we need to recognize an urgency at sin's consequences. We, we need to recognize the very real danger facing lost souls around us. I think maybe sometimes we aren't as passionate and zealous in sharing the gospel because we, we, we don't uh, truly believe or we're not as firmly convicted about what the scriptures tell us about sin. James chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Brethren, this is life and death. And we're not just talking about physical life and death. You, you know, Thinking about physical death, you think about what we've experienced over the world in the last couple of years. You know, the, the threat of physical death, even the, the possibility of a sickness that might end in my death, is something that the, the world is petrified about. Right? It, it turns the world upside down. We're willing to go to great lengths to, to change the way that we live from day to day. And I'm not saying that there, there's anything wrong with taking precautions. We've obviously uh, supported taking precautions and encouraged people to do so. Um, but, but I want us to think for a moment, think about how willing 
we are to, to turn our lives upside down to avoid the fear of physical death. And yet, how much more should we be willing to turn our world upside down, to go to great lengths in our life, to try to save people from eternal death and eternal destruction? You know, if you had a loved one who got COVID and was in the hospital on a ventilator, they were on the brink of death, and you had the cure, and you had exactly what they needed to overcome that certain death, what, what would you do about that? Would you say, well, I, I don't know. You know, may, maybe, they, maybe they won't respond well to it. No. You know, you, you have the cure. Of course we are going to go. We're going to tell people about that. We're going to help people find that. How much more when we recognize that our loved ones are facing the reality of, of spiritual death, of eternal separation from the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, talks about those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel. It says that they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. You know, we, we don't like preaching a lot about hell. We, we don't like talking about fire and brimstone. But if we don't talk about the consequences of sin, salvation holds no significance, right? Salvation doesn't mean anything unless there's something that we are being saved from. Grace doesn't mean anything unless we recognize the the depth of what we deserve. And yet, God's love and what he's offering to us. And so we need not to shy away in our own minds even, from, from recognizing the reality of what the scripture is saying here. It says they will experience uh, the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. You know, James 1 in verse 17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Nothing good that we experience ultimately uh, can be found outside of God, right? God is the source of all things good. What does that mean then if we're going to experience eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord? What, what happens when you separate yourself from the source of all things good? What are you left with? All things bad, right? Being separated from God means you look at the brokenness of this world around us, you look at the fear, you look at the suffering, the, the emptiness, the futility, and take away any sign of comfort, any hope, any joy. Right, right now we live in a world where we see, still see the goodness of God, right? Where God is, is still reaching out to us. We can have hope, we can have peace in the midst of that suffering. And yet, if we die in our sins, we're going to be separated from all things good for all eternity. Brethren, there is nothing more serious than that. Do we truly believe that? Maybe we don't want to think about it, so we kind of conveniently ignore it. If we truly believe what the Bible is telling us, then we need to get serious about helping souls 
have hope beyond uh, that consequence of eternal death. Helping people come to know God. Helping people obey the gospel. This isn't just about sharing my beliefs with people. Sharing kind of how we do things at our church. This isn't about sharing my religion with people. This is about giving people hope beyond this life. Saving souls from death. There isn't any time to delay in getting lost souls the cure. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 talks about how when the Lord comes, it's going to be as a thief in the night. Uh, you know, it's, it's not that, that when Jesus comes again, there's going to be you know, a voice from heaven crying out, you know, 24 hours to get your life together. No, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be a day just like any other day. It's going to be a day just like today. Maybe Jesus will come before you get home in your car tonight, right? We don't know. Uh, but there's not going to be some countdown. Uh, it says he'll come as a thief in the night. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you read with me uh, here, Verse 10, um, actually starting in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see what it says there in verse 9? It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness. Uh, say, well, you know, Jesus uh, ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. Uh, nothing's changed. Everything's the same. You know, when, when is he going to come again? Well, it tells us it's not that, that God's forgotten. It's not that God is kind of dragging his feet. It says he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Why is it that the world is still turning? Because God wants people to be saved. The sun rose this morning because God still wants people to be saved. That's why we're here. That's why the world still exists. And so we need to develop some urgency about using the time that God has given us, using this day that God has given us to fulfill the purpose for which the world is still turning to reach out to people and save souls from death. James chapter 4, if you want to turn your Bibles there with me, we see that the uncertainty of life should motivate us to act now while we still have a chance. Look in James 4, um, verse 14, beginning. We're told, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
what, what's the point of verse 17 in that context? He's telling us we need to recognize that we're not even in control of whether I'm going to live tomorrow, right? Life is fleeting. Uh, we need to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, step one, and then we'll go on and do this and that. So when we understand that life is fleeting, what's the conclusion in verse 17? If we know the right thing to do and fail to do it, it is sin. Because of the fleetingness of life, we need to get to work on what we know we need to be doing, right? We don't have an assurance of tomorrow. Sinning is not just about uh, re- rebelling uh, against, uh, you know, doing the things that God told us not to do. We need to be actively doing the things that God has told us to do, James is telling us. So when we recognize how fleeting life is, uh, how uncertain tomorrow is, whether it be by our, our own loved ones uh, passing away or whether it be by Jesus coming again, we need to get serious about saving souls from eternal death. But as urgent as that is, uh, I'm, I'm convicted that that urgency cannot and must not be our primary motivation in evangelism. Uh, if, if it's fear, if it's of a, a sense of obligation that is driving us to share the gospel with other people, it's going to show in the way that we share the gospel. More than anything, we need to be driven by love. That's ultimately what, what drives the Lord, what drives Jesus in sharing the gospel. We need a genuine love for the lost, to have Jesus' heart towards the world. John 3, verse 16, remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We talked about, at the very beginning, uh, feeling what God feels, having, being passionate about what God's passionate about. Think about the depth of God's love, what he was willing to sacrifice, what he was willing to pay. That needs to describe us. That needs to describe our heart. What links are we willing to go to out of love for the world around us? You know, Romans chapter 5 describes the nature of this love to us. If you're going to turn to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Verse 6 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us has absolutely nothing to do with our worthiness, right? It's not that we're worthy of love, that God looked down and was just so impressed by what he saw down here that he decided to love us, right? No, his love reached down despite who we are and what we've done. And when we look around at the world around us, I know with what Dave was talking about earlier, we look around and we're discouraged at how broken the world is. And, and sometimes it's very easy for us to just kind of write it off and say, well, that's the world. That's not God's attitude. God's attitude, he looks at the world and all its brokenness and all its rebellion and his heart yearns to bring those broken people back to him. Is that our heart? When we look at the world around us, is it a heart of pride that says, well, yep, you know, they don't have it figured out like we do. That's us. We're the ones 
who God has looked down upon in our brokenness and our rebellion and has shown his great love to you. That needs to be our heart towards others. When we look at the world around us, we need to see ourselves. We need to love as he has first loved us. In the passage that Luke read for us, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, this is what drove Jesus and his work here on earth from day to day. Remember there in Matthew 9 and verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What do you see when you look at the world around you? You know, you go to a, um, a Steelers football game. You see a, a crowd of, of thousands of people around you. What do you see? Jesus, when he looks at people, he sees souls. He sees souls distressed and dispirited. We need to see Uh, people's need for the Lord. That needs to be the first thing that we see about people, that these are people created in the image of God, created to have a relationship with him, people that God desires to spend an eternity in his presence. Evangelism is part of loving our neighbor as ourselves. Luke chapter 10, you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the... The man asks, uh, you know, but who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells him this parable uh, about a man who uh, was distressed and dispirited, who was harassed and helpless, a man who was on the side of the road, beaten and bloodied, left half dead. And the priest and the Levite come along, and it says they pass by on the other side. You know what? Why, why is that? Why, why didn't they kind of walk up close, kind of examine and see what was going on and then decide to go? No, it says they, they kept their distance, right? They passed by on the other side. I think sometimes we don't want to get close to things like that because then, well, it might pull on our heartstrings, right? Then we might feel more guilty about passing along. Let's make some spiritual application for that. Uh, obviously, we, we have opportunities to serve people from day to day in many different ways uh, that I think Luke 10 applies to. Um, but there, there's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't pass people who are beaten and bloodied by sin. People who are dead in sin. Do we pass by on the other side? Do we keep our distance? Well, I, I don't you know, really want to associate with those people. I'm going to keep myself over here. We need to be a friend to tax collectors and sinners like Jesus. We need to reach out to get close enough that we can help those people and pick them up. We can't afford to pass them by. We must reach out to them with the love of Jesus and the truth of his gospel. But fourthly, many times... We lack passion for evangelism because we don't feel like it's going to do any good, right? We, maybe we are convicted about the seriousness of sin's consequences. Maybe we, we genuinely do love people, but we, we just feel like, well, it doesn't do any good. Nobody listens. That's not what they want. Sometimes we feel personally inadequate in sharing the gospel. But what we need 
to develop is a deeper faith in the power of the gospel itself. Our confidence doesn't lie in ourselves or in other people. Our confidence lies in the power of God's word. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, the gospel doesn't need our help to dress it up and make it look pretty. The gospel doesn't need our help to, to make it, you know, uh, to sweeten it up so that people are, are, are more receptive to it. The gospel has the power. And as we said before, we're, we don't have to be eloquent mouths. We need to be feet, heralds taking the message to people. It's not that we're sharing with people, you know, what we believe and what we practice and, and our religion. What, what we're sharing with people is the gospel, is the word, is God. And that's what we want people to get into. If, if we go into any encounter with somebody thinking, well, I need to teach them my faith, we've missed it. I need to open up God's word. I need to get them excited about digging into the word. And that's where the power is. That's what has the power to convert. That's what has the power to save. And that's not dependent on me. I need to be faithful to it. I need not to get in the way of it. We'll talk about that a little bit. But this is where the power is. Our role is simply to sow the seed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. You know, is it some really fancy technique of throwing the seed that, that makes the seed grow? <laughs> is, is it, you know, putting the water in just the right way? No, the seed is what has the power, right? God has the power. And we need to direct people towards him. You think about the parable of the sower. We talked about this recently. Um, you know, he sows the seed far and wide. Sometimes we think a lot about methods of evangelism. And well, what, what's going to be the most effective method? Uh, I've heard it said before, the, the most effective method is the method that you use. Um, it, it's not about us working out the perfect salesmanship system. It's about us sowing the seed. And so the most important thing that we can be doing as a congregation is not figuring out the right formula and how we're going to share the gospel. It's figuring out all the different ways that we can sow the seed and sowing it as often and as consistently and as broadly as we can. That's our goal in evangelism. Because God's word has the power. It, it has the power to differentiate between hearts. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that means sometimes the seed is going to be sown and somebody's not going to respond to it. Does that mean the seed failed? No. No, the, the soil failed. We need to faithfully sow the seed, trusting in its power if anything, our focus in equipping ourselves needs to be figuring out how best to get out of the way of the gospel. And sometimes we may get in the gospel's way, but God's word is there to equip us. 
we, we talked today about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. How are you going to improve and grow in your ability to share the gospel? Spend time in the gospel. Spend time in the seed. Get to know it. So that sharing it comes naturally to you. And so that you can get out of the way of God doing his work within people's hearts. Um, and as we grow, as we equip ourselves by God's word, there, there are going to be times that we, we do get in the way of the gospel. Um, the, the first evangelistic study I ever led was um, with some friends as a freshman in high school. And I will tell you, when I think back about some of those studies, I groan and I cringe. Um, I think about other encounters that I've had sitting across the table from people and, and areas where my attitude or the way I express things got in the way of them receiving God's word. I'll tell you what comforts me in that is knowing that God is able to accomplish his work despite my insufficiencies. Uh, even where I have failed, if, if they have a good and open heart, God can accomplish his work despite me, <laughs> despite my inadequacies. So do we need to equip ourselves? Yes. Do we need to grow and making sure that the way we're sharing the gospel is, is, is getting out of the way of it, is consistent with it? Yes. But I need to get out and start sowing the seed. Because even if I do fail, God's going to accomplish his work. And that's where my faith lies. I think about the apostles in Acts 4 and verse 20, uh, where they say, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. If we truly and deeply uh, have a faith in the power of God's word, we're not going to be able to be silent about it. It's going to be something that we are, are going to uh, be, be driven day by day to want to talk to people about. It shouldn't matter how people react. It shouldn't matter how insufficient we feel. It should only matter that this is the power of God unto salvation and the world desperately needs to hear it. So what about you today? Do you have God's passion for evangelism. That's what we're trying to cultivate. We're trying to cultivate God's heart, God's attitude within us. Do we see the world through his eyes? Uh, whatever part of the body we are, uh, we need to recognize this is the reason that Jesus came to earth and this is our mission as his body. So we need to be devoted to his work. We need to see the urgency of his message. We need to have his love for lost souls. We need to trust that he's able to accomplish the work um, through us. We just need to be his feet. If you recognize today um, that you haven't been working in the Lord's harvest uh, the way that he intends for you to, uh, won't you commit today to changing that? Um, we, we may be weak, we may be insufficient, but God's word has the power. And if we will faithfully point people towards it in every way that we can, he will accomplish his work. If you haven't allowed God's word to do its work within you, um, if you have not committed your life to the Lord, 
if you've never uh, confessed your sins um, and surrendered your old life uh, to Jesus, confessing your faith in him as the Son of God, as Lord, you can bury your old man of sin in baptism. You can be raised to walk in newness of life. If there's any way that we can help you uh, to commit your life to the Lord, to make your life right with him, that's why we're here. Uh, If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, won't you make it known at this time by coming forward as we stand and sing together?